0: Being from the Midwest, one of the things that I have not been able to experience a whole lot of are earthquakes. And um, the first earthquake that I was ever exposed to was when I lived up in Anchorage, Alaska. And God, I think, used that to maybe prepare me for the time that I would spend here in Southern California. The first earthquake that I experienced lasted for a minute and 31 seconds. And it, I think it was like uh, four point something, I can't, can't even remember. But I was by myself, it was ironically on a Sunday afternoon, and I remember um, mid-afternoon it was, it, was just, it was basically like a nap time, and, and I just remember the house just doing this. I was like, oh, this is an earthquake when's it going to stop? <laughs> and to some degree, experience that a little bit with the earthquake that we just had, right? It's certainly a reminder that um, God is in control. And there's um, an aspect of situations like that, and I, I compare it to like flying um, in an airplane, you know, when when all of a sudden you hit some great turbulence. there's It captures people's attention, doesn't it? Right? And um, I'm encouraged by situations like that because um, they, they should make us pray, right? We, we, we should go vertical. There's, there's a time we know that our very lives are entrusted into the hands of God. And so we um, want to have the opportunity, and I think the, the earthquakes uh, certainly um, had us all um, consider um, our communication with God and, and praying accordingly. Well, if you're joining us today for the very first time, we started a sermon series two Sundays ago that focused on uh, the ministry pillars for our church. And they're really intended to help us understand the philosophy of ministry and why certain aspects of ministry will be emphasized and woven into the fabric of all that we do as a church. Our first message focused on the ministry pillar of praising God with passion. And we talked and looked at the scriptures to see um, how God is worshipped through musical expressions and the use of different instruments. And then we also had the opportunity to look at the physical expressions that the Bible um, allows us to see as we engage in worship. And that can be as we discussed by singing and clapping, um, even shouting, um, there are a number of ways to physically express our worship, lifting our hands, rejoicing in expressive worship. Then last Sunday, we considered the ministry pillar of preaching the word with precision. And our time was spent looking at Second Timothy chapter four, verses one through five, and we shared that this really is the who, what, when how, why, passage of preaching with precision. Uh, The who is related to the solemn charge that Timothy received to to preach the word. And then we talked about the reality that there's a a level of responsibility given to the teacher and that God's going to hold them accountable in a stricter fashion. And James 3.1 indicates that. We also talked about the Shared responsibility and how our church could be strengthened as listeners to the preaching and teaching that takes place at our church. People could function really with a, a Berean like heartbeat and eagerly receive the word and then also provide feedback. And if there is any inaccuracy or if there is something that isn't taught with precision, that questions. And there would be a culture within our church to where we could talk about uh, those things. And so that was that involved the who and then we had the what which was simply this preach the word. We're going to preach the word. We are going to be a gospel preaching church. And we're going to preach the full counsel of God. Logos theos we're we're, we're talking about uh, the the full uh counsel of God. That is the what of preaching the word with precision. And then when will we do this? In season and out of season. Our church is given opportunities, uh, a limited number of opportunities in all the aspects of ministry. We want to make sure that preaching and teaching of the word is done, right? In season or out of season, we want to be ready for those opportunities. And then how do we do that? The word gave us some instruction by reproving, right, rebuking in some instances, exhorting with great patience and instruction. That provided a glimpse of how it is done, and of course, uh, why it is done. Paul shared with Timothy that even in his day, that he would hear um, and, and, and hear of people and see the reality of teachers of churches and uh, gathering um, teachers according to their own desires. And Paul ended in 2 Timothy 4-5 by encouraging Timothy to be sober-minded, to be right-headed, be ready to endure the hardship, endure the suffering that's going to come along with that, to be an evangelist and fulfill your ministry. And that's what preaching the word with precision will do. It fulfills the ministry of discipleship. It fulfills every aspect of ministry that is to take place within the church. And so we've covered two pillars. Praising God with passion. Preaching the word with precision. And today's ministry pillar is this. Praying with fervency. It's been aptly said that if a preacher wants to make a congregation feel any conviction that all you have to do is preach on prayer or evangelism. It's true. And I think that many of us would agree that if we're honest with ourselves that our prayer lives are a work in progress. And it was just a few short weeks ago that Pastor Marcus was here and he encouraged us from Romans 12:12 12, 12, to be a praying church, to be a church that was devoted to prayer. And his transparency was and continues to be a great encouragement to us all. And I don't believe that there's anyone in this room that would say you're completely satisfied with your prayer life. And so long as our sin nature is waging war okay, against the Spirit, the Holy Spirit and the sanctifying work, in our lives, I think it's more than probable that we'll always be in a battle for time and consistency in our prayer life. There are encouragements in God's word, and we'll spend our time this week and next Sunday as well focusing on the ministry pillar of prayer, and was even blessed by the feedback that somebody uh, probably one of the most significant emails that I've ever received. As it related to um, feedback. And I was so blessed by it, but even talked about, even in the messages, you know, sometimes going so fast that, we, that there are things that we might be missing and that it might be good to, to slow down a little bit. And so we're going to spend this week and next week talking about the ministry pillar of prayer. And similar to last week, we'll have one passage that will serve as a platform for us. So please open your Bibles to James chapter 5, and join me as I read verses 13 to 18. Chapter 5, verse 13 in James, starts by saying, Is anyone among you suffering? Then he must pray. Is anyone cheerful? He is to sing praises. Is anyone among you sick? Then he must call for the elders of the church, and they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick. And the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, they will be forgiven him. Therefore, confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the earth for three years and six months. Then he prayed again, and the sky poured rain, and the earth produced its fruit. I'm so thankful to be at a church that, really has a a grasp already on the book of James through the not-so-long-ago study that took place through the equipping hour um, that served the the church so well, you're familiar with what the book, to some degree, is all about. And folks that weren't with us, um, what I'm alluding to is that people know that God used James to record a series of practical tests throughout the letter that helped determine... Or validate the genuineness of a person's faith. James was also the first New Testament epistle ever written. Praying, or prayerfulness, is a test that God provides in the book of James. And it is evidence of genuine faith. It's through prayer that we establish our relationship with God. And we have a great example of that even in in Luke chapter 18 with the publican and the tax collector. The publican who cries out and asks for God's mercy and he receives it and the Lord says that he went home justified. And so at some point a person must establish a true relationship with the true God through the true gospel in order to Truly pray. That's a whole lot of truth going on right there, right? But, it, but it's necessary. True relationship with the true God of Scripture. An accurate and true gospel that brings them to reconciliation and justification through faith for true prayer to exist. And Pastor Marcus shared Proverbs 15, 29 in a sermon. <clears throat> the Lord is far from the wicked, but hears the prayer of the righteous. And he went on to say, God hears our prayers because of Christ, eagerly and with joy because of what Christ has done. J.C. Ryle had this to say, Quote, I hold a salvation by grace as strongly as anyone. I would gladly offer a free and full pardon to the greatest sinner that ever lived. I would not hesitate to stand by his dying bed and say, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ even now, and you shall be saved. But that a man can have salvation without asking for it, I cannot see in the Bible. That a man will receive a pardon of his sins, who will not so much as lift up his heart inwardly and say, Lord Jesus, give it to me. This I cannot find. I can find that nobody will be saved by his prayers, But I cannot find that without prayer, anybody will be saved. It is not absolutely needful to salvation that a man should read the Bible. A man may have no learning or be blind and yet have Christ in his heart. It is not absolutely needful that a man should hear public preaching of the gospel. He may live where the gospel is not preached or may be bedridden or deaf. But the same thing cannot be said about prayer. It is absolutely needful to salvation that... A man should pray. So once prayer is established, because of the work of Christ and the gospel, this enables us. It launches us really into a lifetime of engagement of prayer with God. God communicates to us how, through His word, right, and through spirit-led believers who provide counsel. God, God, uh, those two avenues that God. Uh, du- directs our steps and provides guidance, illuminates our path. And then it's both our privilege and our joy to respond to him in prayer and dependency. E. M. Bounds has appropriately shared, prayer should not be regarded as a duty which must be performed, but rather as a privilege to be enjoyed, a delight that is always revealing some new beauty. Certainly a beautiful expression of what our prayer life can and should be like. And before we tackle uh, the text, let's refresh our memories just a little bit on the book of James for those that may not be familiar. The author, the Apostle James, was the brother of Jude and half-brother of our Lord. And in this epistle, he's writing to Jewish Christians who have been dispersed. And much like Peter, writing in 1 Peter, these converted Jewish Christians were suffering severe persecution to the point that many of them lost their jobs, families, their spouses. Many children even lost their parents because they were killed or imprisoned. And so to gain an accurate view of what was actually taking place, a great chapter to go to and to read is Acts chapter 12. And the first 17 verses really provide a snapshot of what was taking like and or what was taking place. And, and then when we come to Acts chapter 12, verse 17, Peter says, Tell these things to James and to the brothers, and thus we have the epistle of James. And knowing the context a little better allows us to understand some of the exhortations that James was offering. Like at the end of chapter 1, he says pure and undefiled religion is to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained from the world. And he, he shared those, that exhortation specifically because orphans and widows were commonplace because of the degree of persecution that was taking place. And people were kicked out of their homes. They no longer had the amenities that they normally had around them. So there could even be an appeal for the things of the world, King Herod was laying violent hands on those who belonged to the church, and the Apostle John's brother James was just executed. And then Peter gets captured, and he's locked up, and Herod's waiting to execute him before the people to get the the applause. And the church gathers corporately, and it's such a powerful testimony of the church praying for peter in the situation he's gonna his life is on the line he's gonna die and they they get together and they pray and god sends an angel into the jail unshackles peter has him freed up it's it's powerful it's powerful well Uh, There's another reason that we want to reflect on the context of persecution because it would have been very surprising if considering the reality of the level of persecution that was taking place that we make it all the way through the epistle and James would not mention one single word about prayer. And so our passage today within the book of James does provide For us, another test or validation of saving faith, and if you have a MacArthur Study Bible, even at the beginning of the book, it'll it'll show you the 11 or 12 tests that the book of James provides. Christians are and should be praying people. And borrowing again from the words of the prolific preacher, J.C. Ryle, in his booklet, A Call to Prayer, he expressed it this way, I have looked carefully over the lives of God's saints in the Bible. I cannot find one of whose history much is told from Genesis to Revelation who was not a man of prayer. I find it mentioned as a characteristic of the godly that they call on the Father, 1 Peter 1.17, or on the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, 1 Corinthians 1.2. Recorded as a characteristic of the wicked is the fact that they call not upon the Lord, Psalm 14.4. I have read the lives of many eminent Christians who have been on earth since the Bible days. Some of them I see were rich and some poor. Some were learned, some unlearned. Some of them were Episcopalians and some Christians of other names. Some were Calvinists, some were Arminians. Some loved to use liturgy, some to use none. But one thing I see they all had in common, they have all been men of prayer. I studied the reports of missionary societies in our times. I see with joy that heathen men and women are receiving the gospel in various parts of the globe. There are conversions in Africa and New Zealand in Hindustan and China. The people converted are naturally unlike one another in every aspect. But one striking thing that I observe at, observe at all the missionary stations, the converted people always pray. Wow. And certainly... The authorial, uh, the authorial in, in, intent of uh, should not be minimized or overlooked. We need to understand that a, a prayerful or a prayer-filled life is evidence of faith. And if a person cannot recall or recalls very little, um, any prayer in their life, this passage then offers a distinct opportunity for reflection. Someone once made the joke, seven days... Without prayer makes one weak. Okay. Weak W E A K. Okay. Seven days without prayer makes one weak. We have no choice to agree. That is a weak testimony, and certainly it might be evidence of their need to be born again. But there's another aspect or encouragement that our passage provides. It allows us to see that praying with fervency goes beyond our individual lives and is actually woven into the fabric of corporate ministry, into the corporate dynamic of the church. And we'll see this develop in our study. So the sermon outline is in your bulletin, and the proposition is as follows, three reasons why praying with fervency should be a pillar for you and for our church. Three reasons why praying with fervency should be a pillar for you and for our church. Reason number one, praying with fervency reveals our dependency. Reason number two, praying with fervency reveals God's provisions. And reason number three, praying with fervency reveals God's power. Let's start with reason number one. Praying with fervency reveals our dependency. And James begins this passage by providing three practical questions, all of which remind first century Jewish Christians as well as us today that our dependency is on God. Verse 13 begins, Is anyone among you suffering? Then he must pray. Is anyone cheerful? He is to sing praises. Is anyone among you weak? Then he is to call for the elders, so that they can pray. Three questions followed by three commands that help us as believers to see our dependency upon God. And let's take a closer look at the first question Is anyone among you suffering? This is a present active verb that's right here. You could actually say, Is anyone continually suffering, afflicted, or in trouble? And I, I believe that our English translations draw our attention to a physical focus. But what James is trying to feature here is connected with spiritual suffering, spiritual persecution that was just spelled out for us. And we just saw, you'll see a glimpse of it in in Acts chapter 12. There were definitely physical aspects to the persecution, but at the core, at the core, what really drives persecution, what really encourages someone to persecute somebody else, it's a battle for truth. It's a, a battle for what they're standing for as it relates to the truth. And there's another place in Scripture where this same Greek word is translated. And ironically, it's in 2 Timothy 4-5, a verse that we had a chance to take a look at at the end of the message last week, where Paul encouraged, it, he encouraged Timothy to be sober-minded. right? Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. That, that same word, endure hardship, is endure the affliction. Endure the persecution. And what was, what was Timothy going to have to endure? It was going to be a battle for truth. It was a spiritual battle that was taking place. People were going to come into the church. They were not going to adhere to doctrine. They were going to accumulate for themselves. Let's find some storytellers. Let's, they, they're they're going to turn aside, as the passage indicates, to myths. And so in this context, the resistance or persecution was against the ministry, and God used Paul to let Timothy know that there was going to be a battle against the preaching of the word and against sound doctrine. It's spiritual in nature, and the same is true in James 5.13. And so what response does God have James share with a person suffering spiritually? What's the verse say? It says, Then he must pray. It's an imperative. Believers, believers are, are commanded to go vertical to God. Appealing to God for wisdom by praying is how we're directed to handle spiritual battles, and persecution that we face. Praying with fervency reveals our dependency. And God wants us to express our dependency upon him through praying. And James already shared this in chapter 1, and you can turn back just a couple pages to James chapter 1. You'll see this. Verse 2. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. But if any of you lacks wisdom, what are believers called to do? Pray! Let him ask God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. Spiritual persecution and the various trials that we encounter in our lives provide us with distinct opportunities to go directly to the Lord in prayer. It allows us to express our need for his wisdom and for his guidance to prevail. And I believe, if I'm not mistaken, that this um, was the exact passage that was referenced when we encountered our problem this week when we were told that we couldn't meet at the church. That this this was the text that got sent out. Right? When we, we face that trial. And No Praise Chapel made substantial progress at the request of the fire marshal. More progress is required on the building due to some of the, the fire alarm issues. Okay, that was really the, the trial, and The meeting with the city that I anticipated going smoothly, in fact, I even said it from the pulpit last Sunday, didn't go so smoothly. It didn't. And ironically, I was unable to attend that meeting because I was in the emergency room with my three-year-old daughter, Lydia, who was suffering, as you guys know, from appendicitis. It was humbling. Thankfully, Hyun went and, and, and represented and was able to, to hear what was, was going on. But what did these opportunities present us with? I don't recall any reports of anyone freaking out. I don't recall any, report, any, any uh, uh, stories or, or comments made about people tanking with discouragement. Rather... It gave us an opportunity to fervently pray and express our dependence upon the Lord. Amen. Did it not? We prayed. And God answered. And here we are today. And there's a verse that I've shared with a few people that I've enjoyed fellowship with that is really becoming one of my favorites, and is Psalm ninety four, verse nineteen. It says. When anxieties multiply within me, His delights are my consolation. His delights comfort me. It was a blessing to look back and consider this week and the praying that took place and then to watch the faithful hand of God show up. And nobody panicked. And faithful servants stepped up and And bore responsibility and that the admin team was all over it and the the setup team which has been sitting on the beach um for these last few months having margaritas and just relaxing is "Uh uh-oh got a call it's coming in push it to voicemail no they did not they answered the call and it was just such a testimony what a lesson in prayer to, ablo- uh, to apply both to our personal as well as our corporate lives, it, and it's the very reason why God can say that. Consider it all joy when you encounter various trials. The trials in and of themselves, there's nothing joyful about them. It wasn't there wasn't joy in receiving the news that we couldn't meet at our regular location. There was no joy for me being in the ER with Lydia when she's doubled over in pain and they're preparing for surgery, the first surgery that she would ever have. Nothing joyful about it. The joy comes when we entrust these things to the Lord, when we give them over to the One who controls all things, who is all-powerful. And this is exactly why Psalm fifty five twenty two says to, to, to cast your cares on the Lord. He's never going to let the righteous fall. Not to be anxious, but to cast our cares on the Lord because he cares for us. 1 Peter 5, 7. J.C. Ryle said this, The only way to be really happy in such a world as this is to be ever casting all our cares on God. It is trying to carry their own burdens, which so often makes believers sad. If they will tell their troubles to God, he will enable them to bear them as easily as Samson did the gates of Gaza. If they are resolved to keep them to themselves, they will find one day that the very grasshopper is a burden. There is a friend ever waiting to help us. If we will unbosom to Him our sorrow, a friend who pitied the poor and sick and sorrowful when He was upon the earth, a friend who knows the heart of man, for He lived thirty-three years as a man among us, a friend who can weep with weepers, for He has a, He was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, a friend who is able to help us, for there never was earthly pain He could not cure. That friend is Jesus Christ. The way to be happy is to be, always be opening our hearts to Him. Oh, that we were like that poor Christian who only answered when threatened and punished. punished. I must tell the Lord. Wow. Powerful. And so given the context of even this passage, when spiritual persecution or suffering comes our way, and we could actually even broaden, broaden the scope a little bit and, and really consider the entire book of James for a moment, all of us all of us handle different situations in dis- different scenarios in different ways right what might be a big deal for you might not be a big deal for me and what might be not be or might be a big deal for me isn't is manageable for you right that's life but one thing that we should all have in common is that when any situation comes in that is a burden right that prayer is leading the charge that we are we're going directly to the Lord and our remaining questions under this point will broaden the context and application for us our second question is found in verse 13 it says this is anyone cheerful and again it could be continually cheerful And James swings to the other end of the spectrum. He goes from inquiring about uh, suffering under persecution to inquiring about those who are cheerful. And the verb here pictures an inner attitude of cheer. It's not denoting a lightheartedness or simply a good mood. The point, however, remains the same, and that is for believers, for us to acknowledge our dependency Upon the Lord. How is the believer to respond? James uses the expression, he is to sing praises, an imperative, another command. And though he opts to use a different word for the response, the word sing or sing praises could have easily been translated pray. One commentator suggested that the two imperatives, to pray in response to suffering and to sing in response to cheerfulness, might. With equal truth be transposed. So that you could say, Is any among you suffering? Let him sing praise. Is any among you cheerful? Let him pray. He goes on to say this, Prayer should not merely be the plaintive cry of the sufferer. It is equally appropriate when exuberant feelings prevail. Songs of praise to God are suitable not only when the heart is glad, but also when trials and distress engulf us. There's a level of maturity that comes with that, right? There is. um, And then he goes on to say, Paul and Silas sang hymns to God while in prison with bleeding backs and feet fastened to stocks. Referencing Acts 16.25. A vital faith can both sing and pray whether the circumstances are sad or glad. And prayers come in the form of praises. Or put it the other way, praises are a form of prayer. And just two Sundays ago, when we were talking about praising God with passion, we saw a glimpse, do we not, in in the Psalter of all the opportunities um, that are expressed through the prayers in the Psalms to praise God. Um, I jotted a couple down. Psalm 92: I will be glad and exalt in You. I will sing praise to Your name almost high. Psalm 30 verse 4, sing praise to the Lord, you his godly ones, and give thanks to his holy name. Psalm 51 verse 15, O Lord, open my lips that my mouth may declare your praise. Praises are prayers that express both our dependency and our gratitude to the Lord. And James is the first New Testament epistle written, right? Okay, It's, it's the, the, the first one written, but we see this concept of praise and gratitude tied together in prayer, develop in other epistles. Two of the most cited passages in the New Testament as it relates to prayer, Philippians 4, 6, which calls us, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything through prayer and, suppu- w- w- everything through prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Ties it together. First, Thessalonians 5, verses 16 through 18. In verse 16, two short words, it says rejoice always. And then it says pray without ceasing, right? In everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. There's a connection. And what is so sad is that so often we miss the opportunity to praise God because either our circumstances or our contentment eclipses God. I'm going to share an illustration. Everybody's familiar with the sun outside up in the sky. And it is an incredibly powerful source. In fact, the entire earth revolves around the sun, as do the rest of the planets in our solar system, Right? It's powerful. Very powerful. If we walk out into bright sunshine, it's easy for us to dismiss its power. We just put our hand up to block the sun. Or we throw on a pair of flimsy sunglasses. Or we pull the... Driving in the car, the visor, thank you, the sun visor down. Or if sun's beating through the window, we just pull the shades, right? But the sun is powerful. If we're out in the sun for a little bit, we put, throw a little sunblock on us, right? A little cheap, two dollar thing, and it protects us. But if any of those things ever were to stand toe to toe with the sun, we know what would happen, right? And the, this teaches us such a valuable spiritual lesson, because God is powerful. Right, And sometimes our circumstances are so close to us. Sometimes the troubles are so close that they eclipse God. They don't allow us to, to, to see the, the omnipotent one who is behind, the one who has ordained all things. And if our perspective on God is skewed, if it's skewed up and that was punny on purpose. If it's if it's right. Even, even the smallest trials can seem so overwhelming. They 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 eclipse the God who is 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 so powerful that that, that they're they're really nothing. They really are nothing for him to handle. So true. And I think that happens with trials. I also believe that it happens in times of contentment, too. That we get so content sometimes that we don't, that, that it blots us out from seeing God to, to bring the praises that he would have us bring. And so the point is that we, we have to see God through our trials you know, it is, it is a, a big deal. When, when you get that call from your, your, your parents and, or someone is diagnosed terminally ill with cancer and they're given weeks to live. We saw this happening with Pastor Edgar even as we speak. You must, we must see God through that trial. We must. And He's there and He's ready and He's waiting for us to depend upon Him through prayer and it's interesting because this happens to me not always but often I I run to the Lord in my hour of need I would say I, I don't run to him as often in my hour of contentment and and where I'm blessed and 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 the point that James would would make and have us see is that there should be balance. Whether it's suffering or being blessed and we're able to sing songs of praises, the response remains the same. We have the opportunity to pray. Is praise and thanksgiving regularly woven into the fabric of, of our fervent prayers? That's the question. Well, there's a third question to be answered, and it comes in verse 14, which says, Is anyone among you sick? It could also be translated weak or ill. And here, James is led to use the example of someone who is physically sick, and God certainly desires for us to be dependent upon Him physically. And the Lord even expressed that when He taught the disciples had a prayer when he said, give us this day our daily bread. It was a physical, physical need. Here the response is slightly altered for a logical reason, yet the emphasis is still placed on prayer and dependence upon God. And it reads as follows. Then he must call for the elders of the church a command, and they are to pray over him another command anointing him with oil in the name of the lord what's what's this all about okay we need to consider this but i think one of the things that was uh, through the course of my study was the logical explanation helps us understand what's taking place here it assists our understanding if a believer is sick or is ill and this word can also be translated incapacitated, Okay. then intercessory prayer would be required. The Greek word literally means to be without strength. In the first two questions that were asked, it's assumed that the person suffering would be able to pray themselves. If a person is of good cheer, that person's going to be equipped and able to pray themselves with the extremely sick or ill person that is literally without strength, it would make sense to call someone who could offer intercessory prayer on their behalf. And though the command in the text puts the responsibility on the, the, the believer to, to call for the elders, there's nothing or no reason to believe that the request couldn't be made by someone else if needed the context demands the support of serving a needy brother and the request for intercessory prayer is for the elders of the church to come and pray and if a person is sick possibly with something contagious but if they're they're bedridden then certainly it's going to warrant a visit and though the holy spirit led james to record elders as the intercessors there isn't any reason to believe, or at least in in o- other areas of Scripture, why other believers or even the sick person, if they were able to, couldn't pray in this situation either. Okay, it's just a a recognition of uh, uh, he's led by the Spirit to use the example of men in the synagogue who are identified as as older and maybe more mature, understanding uh, maybe a capacity and and what specifically to pray for. That's why. They might be called, but it certainly isn't limiting elders for this. What's most intriguing about this passage to most people is this talk about the oil, okay? And there's a lot of different views as it relates to the oil. Some view the act of applying oil as a healing remedy. Olive oil in the ancient Near East was commonly used for medicinal purposes, And so, that's a common understanding. Still, others view the anointing as symbolic to represent the healing power or presence of God. Some even view the oil as a symbol of the Holy Spirit. So, these are views. These are views that exist in the church, and I, I wanted to share these with you so you would be aware of them. But it should be noted that James makes no reference to the healing power of the oil, it actually affirms that the prayer made in faith in the very next verse is what God uses to heal or restore the sick. And I personally hold to the cultural view of the medicinal purpose of oil, literally to rub them with oil. And it makes sense because of the persecution that they might be facing, right? If they had cuts, if they, had, um, if they were beat up, that the oil could be used in conjunction with prayer to help restore them and make them feel better. Well, John Calvin said this, Our prayer must not be self-centered. It must arise not only because we feel our own need as a burden we must lay upon God, but also because we are so bound up in love for our fellow men that we feel their need as acutely as our own. To make intercession for men is the most powerful and practical way in which we can express our love for them. And finally, J.C. Ryle shared this quote on intercessory prayer. I commend to you the importance of intercession in our prayers. We are all selfish by nature, and our selfishness is very apt to stick to us even when we are converted. There's a tendency in us to think only of our own souls, our own spiritual conflicts, our own progress in religion, and to forget others. Against this tendency, we all have need to watch and strive, and not least in our prayers. We should study to be of a public spirit. We should stir ourselves up to name other names besides our own before the throne of grace. We should try to bear in our hearts the whole world, the heathen, the Jews, the Roman Catholics, the body of true believers, the professing Protestant churches, the country in which we live, the congregations in which we belong, the households in which we sojourn, the friends and relations we are connected with. For each and all of these, we should plead. This is the highest charity. And he says this, this is how he finishes. He loves me best. He who loves me best who loves me in his prayers he who loves me best is he who loves me in his prayers and so our study provides 3 reasons why praying with fervency should be a pillar for our lives and for our church praying with fervency reveals our dependency now let me just share with you because i received such great counsel last week We're going to get to those other two points next week, okay? Um, But um, I'm going to ask the ushers if they would. There's um, a special uh, document that you received um, coming in, and um, if you didn't get one, would you raise your hand, and the the men will come by and, and pass one to you. And on this sheet, um, it's actually called the, the CBC Prayer Guide, okay? And this was something that our elder team had a chance to just look over, and, and um, as we prayed and as we considered uh, the philosophy of ministry of the church, we, we wanted to think about a way that we could cultivate corporate unity in the prayer life of our church. We've got a couple more folks here on the inside. Thank you, Mark. And it's pretty straightforward. Some of you may have already had a chance to, to look it over, but it gives a, a description at the beginning, and I'll read the first paragraph. It says, The CBC Prayer Guide is, is designed to help our local church family pray more fervently and strategically. The Bible offers many examples of saints praying that we can follow, and the ultimate example is our Lord Jesus Christ. A prayer guide is much like having a Bible reading guide, and it allows our course to be mapped out. It also allows for greater breadth and consistency while promoting corporate unity as we pray together. Personalize your prayer guide by adding specific names and requests where appropriate. May God be glorified as you acknowledge your dependency upon him for all your needs and the needs of others. And so right now this is, it, it, we had it printed on cardstock, so there'd be just a little bit of durability, but um, would like to get this turned into a booklet, okay, that we can use and keep um, inside our Bibles. And, and for now, folding it in half and maybe sliding it inside the cover will we'll have to work. But um, there, this is a work in progress too, by the way. And so if you, there's um, another uh, request that you see or that, that isn't implied through what's listed on the sheet, would you please um, talk to me or talk to one of the elders and say, you know, it'd be really good if we included this on the list as well. But I, I really do believe that this is going to be Great application for us. If we pray together, listen, if we pray together as a church family. God will turn, use us as instruments in his hands. If we pray together, God will turn the areas in which we live and where we minister, turn the world upside down. He will. But we have to be united. We have to be intent. This isn't, this isn't Optional. In fact, uh, there, there's a there's a quote: "Prayer does not fit us for prayer does not fit us for the greater work. Prayer is the greater work. It's everything. It's everything to our church. And I'm I'm excited. I'm sharing with you that I need this personally. I need this to to be more precise and more fervent." And more strategic in my own prayer life. I need this. And and I pray as a as a church that, that we can take this and that we can use this together and that we can through our prayers corporately plead with God for the things that are going to allow the, the ministries at our church locally and the ministries that we support abroad to thrive. And He will, He will answer. And we're going to have a chance to even talk about his faithful provisions and the power in prayer next week. But with this, um, I, I want to. Th- there's a number of things listed on here. And I want us to turn to the back on page two. There's two things because our time is up. And I want to draw our attention to th- two uh, things in particular. If you'll go under number four, Cornerstone Church Body, and if you go all the way down to letter E, we have our missionaries listed. Okay, and you'll see that we have the Denny's, and we added uh, Gina and Julia to this list, and even the future ministries that we might support. But I, many of you already know that uh, that the girls are going to be leaving in just a few short weeks. Okay, and there's a lot of reasons. There's a lot of prayer needed for them, and this is a great opportunity for us just to have this before us, so that we can that we can pray consistently for them together from this point forward. And so it'll be a blessing to the Denny's, to Daniel and and We really just want to rally our hearts around them, and I wanted to feature that for us just because of the time frame which we're up against. And also, if you'll go to the next section, it's called Special Initiatives and Events. Letter A mentions the future church building, Okay. The future church building, what it might be, um, we are really trusting the Lord to work it out, and there is still a chance that we're going to be meeting um at at our current location okay it's still there's there's a meeting that's going to take place there's some adjustments that would need to take place that might involve um a, an earlier meeting in the morning, maybe as early as eight thirty. I uh, just want to plant that seed in your thinking that there might be a season until the building, but that would just be for a season. We would trust the Lord for that, but that we would have the opportunity. But we we need to pray. And God, with with the LTF, we are in a position where if the right property at the the right time and the right price becomes available, we might actually be able to invest in a property. But we need to rally around together and, and, and pray. And here's one last thought that I, this is just an idea that, I wanted to start with starting today that we might try, okay? And and it, it coincides with the prayer guide. I want to talk about the, the 10 at 10 initiative, okay? 10 at 10 is this. 10 a.m., 10 p.m. There are two options for us to pray for 10 minutes corporately as a, as a church, okay? And is it always going to work out? I realize with schedules, families, with kids, you're going to have to pray at a different time. It may not work to pray for 10 minutes right at 10 o'clock. There's care groups sometimes. You're not going to stop care care group right in in the middle. You might pray after. We're not being, um, there's nothing dogmatic about the time frame, right? It's just an opportunity for us to promote unity within the church, that we could bring the request before the Lord and I know my heart will be encouraged and I think that many of your hearts will be as well that we can um, take 10 minutes and whatever, however the Lord leads that we can take this list, this prayer guide and consider whatever it is that he would have us pray for in those, in those moments and that we would do that. And if you have ideas or think of any other ways that that could be enhanced, enhanced please um, uh, let me know. Um, I'm thankful for my brother James Lee. He, he's going to um, help out with just even some of the, the prayer ministry aspects that we're trying to, to get established. I've talked to a few other people that have expressed interest, and I'm grateful for the way that the Lord is burdening your hearts. And so this is exciting. This is exciting for us. We're going to have an opportunity next week to even hear more about how dynamic and how powerful the pillar of prayer can be for our church, whether it's fitting and it's appropriate for us to close our time in prayer and bow our heads. Let's do that together. Gracious Heavenly Father, we are in need. We're always in need. We're your children. We need you in every way. And for those of us who are parents it would break our hearts to consider the reality that our own children might have a need that we could help them with, but they, they, they wouldn't think of even coming to us to ask for our help. That would break our hearts. And your desire is to help us. Your desire is to be available 24-7 for us to bring the needs that we have as a church. And I've been so encouraged. Father, you know my heart, and I know many hearts in this room have been greatly encouraged how prayer has been such a tremendous blessing to our church family. And we want it to continue to thrive. We want it to be used so that you put yourself on display and that the ministry of our church all the ministries of our church are upheld through through the petitions and through the answers that ultimately you will provide. We praise you, Father, for the opportunity to um, even have this morning to, to focus and to consider our individual prayer lives and our corporate prayer lives shared together. And we want to see change we want to see growth in our ministries and in our own lives we want to see the denny's blessed we want to see the ministry continue to flourish there we want you to use gina and julia in great measure we want you to work out in every way seamlessly all the details that lead up to their departure on April 17th, that you would in your kindness and in your mercy wrap your arms around them and remove the obstacles. And help them, Father, to be used over the next 15 months in great measure. And I pray that it will be a great encouragement a powerful encouragement to Marcus, to Daniel, to Alesh, to Amy, the kids even, everyone in that church that you would just show up in great measure and that our prayers would work in conjunction with your will. I pray, Father, that if there's something on this list that is missing that we should be praying for, that you would bring it to our attention that every aspect of our ministry could be prayed for. And we look forward to seeing how you work. We rejoice in you. We know that your hand is ready and willing. And even your own Son, our Lord, our Savior, Jesus Christ, encourages us simply to ask. Ask in his name and it will be given. And so, Lord, we look forward to seeing how that proves true. We thank you again for this time. We look forward to the fellowship that we can share after. All of this is for your glory. All of it's for your namesake. We pray in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen.